Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This is Tom Singer. I appreciate you tuning in. Hey, I am recording this intro to this episode uh, with sort of a really scratchy voice, so I thought instead of having to talk for a whole half hour and create this episode, I would share with you a webinar that I did with Kelly Newsom from Connect Root. And that is a speakers bureau that helps financial institutions and people in financial services find the right speakers to speak at their events. And she is absolutely fantastic to work with. And just this week, I recorded a webinar with her about going from networking to sales. So often we talk about getting out there to network, but we don't really talk about what you need to do to convert that to actual sales. And so this is a little bit longer. It's an hour-long webinar, but I thought it would be really interesting for the people who are regular listeners of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. For those of you who this is your first episode, this is a little different than my normal format, but I still think you're going to enjoy it. So... Uh, Have a great time listening to this webinar and tune in in a couple of days for another episode where we're going to interview somebody very cool here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Kelly Newsom, the founder and president of ConnectRoot. We are a global speakers bureau. I represent over 120 professional speakers, financial industry experts, trainers, and coaches. Today, on for today's webinar, the topic, Connecting Networking and Sales by Tom Singer. We encourage you all to make this very, very interactive. And the way you can do that is by using the Q&A button at the top left-hand side of your screen. Tom Singer is a professional master of ceremonies and a keynote speaker, and he's an expert in human engagement. Please welcome Tom Singer. Hi, everybody. How are you? And I'm going to stop sharing my screen, Tom, and you can go ahead and share your screen. All right. I will do that. Hopefully, this will work. Maybe. And Here we go. I think we're just about ready to take this away. Perfect. All right. So, you know, one of the big things that uh, we hear a lot about is networking, but there's a lot of people out there who are in sales who think, oh, networking is a waste of time. I'm not really making good connections. And I hear a lot and I read a lot from people who are saying that, you know, in the days that we're living in where people are so busy and they have such little time and and really they have, you know, so much going on and everything is attached to their digital camera or their digital lives, that relationship sales is dead. There's a lot of people who are trying to convince salespeople that they need to, you know, be focusing their time solely on social media excuse me, social media and other tools because buyers no longer have time to build relationships with you. You can't get in front of people. You can't get people out to lunch. Uh, People who are going to buy your your products or services, they're not looking to be your friend. They're just looking for a quick hit of value. And I actually disagree. I think we live in a time where the relationship is more valuable than ever because the truth is, is that we are living in a time where people have very little time to share with you. And therefore, you have to really fine tune, how do I build relationships? How do I build my brand, my reputation, and really be able to delve into 
creating long-term and mutually beneficial relationships. <clears throat> when I speak at conferences and, and people like Kelly introduce me and they say, Tom's an expert in networking. I, I see it all the time. Lots of times audience members roll their eyes like, oh my gosh, they, they hired the networking person to speak to us for the next hour. Oh, oh please. But really, if we think about what the actual definition is, not, not the one a lot of people have made up in their heads, but the actual definition of what it is to network, it's creating long-term and mutually beneficial relationships between two or more people where everyone involved in that relationship finds more success because of that relationship than they would have without it. And what that does, when we think of it that way, is we realize that long-term mutually beneficial relationships that's really important if we're gonna find success. So I, I strongly believe that networking and sales are married. They have, to work, <clears throat> they have to work together and we have to see them as two sides of a coin. If we think, oh, I'm not really into networking, I just wanna go sell, I believe you're gonna come up short. But one of the problems that I see out there is a lot of people go to networking events or they attend conferences and they get nothing out of it. They never lead that to sales. So hopefully what I'll do today during the course of you know, the next 45 or 50 minutes as, as we're together on this webinar is I'll get you thinking about how can I be actively networking and growing my reputation and brand and how can I marry that to creating more sales for myself and my organization. <clears throat> so it really comes down to human engagement. So I always talk about Einstein's theory of E equals MC squared. And people say, Tom, what, what does that have to do with networking? Well, nothing, but what I've done is I've taken E equals MC squared and I've stolen it from Albert Einstein and I've flipped it around and I'm, I'm giving it back to all of you as a tool to remember what it means to be out there in your community and engaging with other people. And that is that it's simple. Some people think, oh, networking, I hate to go to those events, I don't wanna do it, it's schmoozing, uh, it's fake, it's trying to get things from people. But if you're gonna go to a networking event, just remember E equals MC squared and that is engagement equals meaningful connections between two or more people. And as I said in that introduction, that's what the definition is. It's the creation of those long-term and mutually beneficial relationships where everybody involved is gonna find more success. And if you enter into the relationships realizing that you're not there to take, you're not there to schmooze, you're not there to you know, try and trick people into buying from you, but you're there to build those meaningful connections, it's a lot better. And you have to remember, if you're gonna go out into the community and take on a role where you're trying to be a partner with people, that means you're gonna have to give. And sometimes that means you're gonna have to help a lot of people. Sometimes people go, well, Tom, I've tried this networking stuff and I got involved and I volunteered and I gave and I gave and I gave and, and, and nobody helped me. Well, I tell people sometimes you have to give seven to 10 times to a lot of different people before anyone's gonna see that you're someone that, that, that they wanna help. And that means you're gonna give a lot before you get something, but if you do it properly, Eventually, someone's going to notice that you're the type of person they want in their sphere of influence. You're the type of person that they want to be around, and they're going to bring an opportunity to you. And the funny part about that is, is sometimes it's not even the same people who you've been assisting along the way. It's someone else. Because I think that the givers who are out there in our world, I think they're kind of sick and tired of the takers. And I know for all of you who are watching this, I don't have to tell you the difference between the givers and the takers. All you have to do is look at you know, look at your LinkedIn connections and you know the people, you know right away who in your network or in your neighborhood or of your friends or in your family, you know who takes, 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 takes and doesn't ever give back. We all know who those people are. Well, the real givers in the world are tired of it. And I think that they're observers. The real givers in the world are watching to see who is it, who's engaged for the right reasons 
And when they find those people, they instinctively want to help them. So just remember when you go out, it's about meaningful connections between two or more people. And that relationships are always going to be the key. They're always going to be the key to success. And a lot of times, because we live in this world where people think a like, a link, a share, or a follow is equivalent to somehow having some sort of a business connection, it's not. I mean, people haven't really changed over the years. I mean, the tools we use to communicate have changed drastically. They, they change every six months. But how we're wired in our heads, how we're wired for who do, who do we know and we like and we trust. And when I speak with people or I go in and work with teams, sometimes people will say, well, Tom, you know, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. That's a little bit of a cliche, right? That's a little bit of overused term. <clears throat> However, most cliches are based in truth. And it's true that people do business with those who they know, like, and trust. Every time when given a choice, everything else being equal, you know, same, similar products, similar price times, people will even pay more if they like somebody and trust them. And it used to be that really getting to know somebody over time, it was a process. And as you got to know them, like and trust came along. Or it didn't, because guess what, Kelly? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna like everybody you meet. You're not always gonna like and trust everybody. But it was a process to get to know them. But what's happened now is everybody thinks they know everybody because we can follow them on LinkedIn, we can follow them on Twitter, we can read their blog. So we instantly have replaced getting to know somebody with I know of them. And because we're moving that along so fast, we're not getting to like and trust in most relationships that we have. Most of them are very superficial and we're never getting deep into what do we really know about that person? And because of that, when you do get to like and trust, and it's going to be rare in the world that we live in now, but when you get there, you will have so many more opportunities. People will buy from you. They will become repeat clients. They will become referral sources like you've never seen before, and it will feed upon itself. So you have to make it that priority to go back to the process of getting to know somebody, not just assuming because you share a LinkedIn connection that you have, have a friendship. <laughs> But we live in a world where everybody's busy. And I think busy, the word and the term and the feeling of being busy, I think it's become a faux badge of honor in our current business world. Think about it for a minute. You're walking down the street in your hometown. You haven't seen somebody in a while. You run into an old friend or an old coworker and you say, oh my God, Becky, how are you? What are the first words out of her mouth? Most likely it's, oh my gosh, I am so busy. And then they proceed to recite their entire calendar to you. And they tell you everything that's on their calendar that makes them so busy. <laughs> and then when it's your turn to talk, what do you do? You say, oh yeah, I'm so busy too. And you start telling them everything on your calendar. And all of a sudden, it becomes a competition of who's busier. <laughs> and I think that this has become, for some people, not for everybody, but for some people, this has become sort of that faux badge of honor. If I can prove I'm busier than another person, even if I'm only proving it to myself, if I can prove I'm busier than they are, then I can justify to myself, maybe I'm just a little bit better in some way than they are. So we're constantly fighting against each other, trying to prove who is busier. Well, I don't think when you run into an old friend on the street that you should be in some instant competition for who's busier or who's better or who's more successful. So people ask me, they say, well, Tom, what do you say when you run into somebody? And it's simple. When I run into somebody I haven't seen for a while and they say, Tom, how are you doing? I say, I'm so fortunate. 
And then I follow that up with some of the things I'm doing. I'm so fortunate. This week, I'm speaking at three different conferences in addition to doing this webinar. And someone says, well, wait a second, Tom, aren't you just reciting your calendar? You're speaking at three events and doing a webinar. You're just telling me exactly what you'd say if you'd gone, oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm speaking at three conferences and doing a webinar for Connect Group. Well, yes, except I'm premising it with, I'm so fortunate, and it doesn't create that same competition. I've never had anyone go, oh yeah, I'm so fortunate too. And if they did, I don't know if that would be so bad. So let's back away from this, I'm so busy. And I've been talking about this in my speeches for a couple of years, and I get more emails from audience members about this slide and about people being able to relate to being caught up in this world of I'm so busy and creating it into a self-justification of worth and a competition. Uh, two sisters who saw me speak at a conference, I don't know, a couple of years ago, emailed me and said that when I was talking about this, how everything's a competition, <clears throat> at that moment, they looked at each other and said, he's talking about mom. And they said that their 80-year-old mother lived in a retirement village, and every time you would call her, she would be like, oh, I'm so busy, and she would tell you everything she was doing. She couldn't take enjoyment in her life because she had to make it seem like it was so constantly filled. And they said that when they went to see her the next time, they were going to have an I'm so busy intervention with their mom. And so start paying attention. After you get off this webinar or when you get to the office tomorrow or even next week, especially if you've been gone, you know, for a couple days on a business trip, pay attention to who, when you say, how are things going? Who comes at you with, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. And don't fall into this trap of always trying to prove who is busier than the next person. Now, the other thing when I do training and, and, and stuff, I talk about the fact that we need to get away from the elevator pitch. Now, I'm going to assume that all of you who are on this, this webinar understand what the elevator pitch or the elevator statement is. And companies spend a lot of money. Millions of dollars a year are spent, in, are, are spent by bringing in experts to train executives and salespeople and others how to craft an elevator pitch. And I assume you know what that means. It's that you create some sort of a three or four sentence quippy thing that if we were to get on an elevator together on the 30th floor and ride down and you realized I was somebody you could do business with, that you could, you know, clearly and concisely just tell me all about you and what makes working with you so great. But the problem is, think about this for a minute. If we really got on an elevator together and I realized that you were someone I could do business with, and I flicked a little switch in my back and just started reciting something about myself. Hi, my name is Tom Singer. I've written 12 books. I speak all over the country. Blah, blah, blah. Just verbal vomit all over you. <laughs> what would you want to do when the doors open in the lobby? You'd, you'd want to run. And yet, this is how we teach people to network. And I think it's wrong. I think we need to teach people that instead of memorizing little things about yourself that get you to take up all of the, the bandwidth of the conversation, do it in just the opposite. Now, the concept of the elevator pitch is okay. You should know how to talk about yourself in a short, concise manner when the opportunity comes up. So certainly, if you've invested the time to come up with an elevator pitch, don't throw it away. But don't mistakenly fall into the belief that you're supposed to lead with it. That somehow when you meet people, the first thing out of your mouth should be this memorized statement. Instead, I think you need to memorize questions that get the other people talking. They've actually done surveys where they've followed people on blind dates and they've actually like, you know, you've, you've seen these things on reality TV <clears throat> they, they, they put a camera in the microphone and they, sorry, a camera in the flowers and they float a microphone in the beer and then they watch the entire video of their interaction. Then they interview them later. The person who talks the most says, I love them. I hope we get married and have three kids. The person who talks the least says, yeah, not sure I want to see them again. 
So the idea is when you meet someone for the first time, remember they don't care about you or your elevator pitch. They care about themselves and you need to invest in finding ways to get them talking. And what you want to do is you want to uncover what it is you have in common. The broader questions you can ask them, the more you can lead them into things about their, their professional life, about their family, about their experiences, about where they went to college, about where they traveled, about who you may know in common. What you want to do is you want to discover what's called an uncommon commonality. Now, I get this term from a book from the author Adam Grant. And Adam is a professor at uh, the Wharton School in Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania, and he wrote a book called Give and Take, and that's about the givers and the takers and how over the long run, the givers are going to find more success. The takers don't always win. And he has a little paragraph in there. I don't remember where it is, <clears throat> but he talks about uncommon commonalities, and that is that when we get to know people, that's one of the things we have to do is we have to get past this, this, this way we are in our society of living at the surface. We are so superficial in our engagement with other people and it doesn't really get us anywhere. We're not getting to those long-term sort of long-term lasting relationships that are leading to more sales. Instead, we're just finding out where someone works, you know, what their job title is, and that's about it. He says when you can peel back the onion and get to those things that you have in common with somebody else, all of a sudden you're going to have a much stronger relationship that's going to lead to more business. And this happened to me a couple of years ago. <clears throat> I was asked to be the speaker at a law firm partner retreat. And the marketing person who was looking to hire me said that the managing partner of the firm needed to meet with me in person. We lived in the same town, needed to meet with me in person because he was very involved who was going to address the lawyers in his firm. I looked him up on LinkedIn before we got there and I didn't really see anything that we had in common that was, you know, uncommon. And yet when he walked in, this was about six years ago during the NCAA basketball tournament. <laughs> And when he walked in, he saw me from across the room, he sat down, he shook my hand, he looked me right in the eye and he said, go Aztecs. And I looked at him and I said, uh, San Diego State University, kind of gave him a thumbs up. And he said, you went to school there? And I said, yes, I did. And then he replied, so did I. And I wanted to say, I know you didn't, it's not on LinkedIn, because I'd looked him up, I would have noticed that we'd gone to the same college. And then he t I told him, I looked you up on LinkedIn, I didn't notice that. And he said, well, it's not on my LinkedIn. He goes, because I only went there for one semester. Because I grew up in California, I applied to San Diego State, then my parents moved, my senior year, my parents moved to Texas. So I went for one semester and then I transferred to the University of Texas where I did my undergrad and then did my law school. And he goes, I've never left Austin since. But he was in San Diego 10 years before, before I was. We spent the next hour talking about San Diego in the 1970s, San Diego in the 1980s when I was there, and San Diego today. And if you know the city, they've changed miraculously over the decades. And we talked in a lot of detail about the differences in San Diego. And we laughed. We talked about our favorite restaurants and where we used to go to the beach. And all of a sudden, he looked at his watch and he goes, oh, I've got to go. He shook my hand. He said, you are so hired. And he left Starbucks. Now, later, when I showed up to speak at the partner retreat, his marketing person said, Tom, what did you do to Mike? I don't understand. She goes, he's a micromanager. He always wants two or three meetings with our consultants who we bring in. Whenever I asked him if he wanted to have a meeting with you, he kept saying, Tom's got it under control. She goes, what did you do to him? I, said, I don't know. We just had something in common and we hit it off. And because of that, I got the business and he wasn't worried about what I was going to say when I spoke at his event because he trusted me. And that's why if you can peel back that onion and get to deeper conversations with people, they're going to trust you, they're going to like you, 
and they're going to hire you. So be asking a lot of questions and delving deep because in this marketplace where we live in, you have a lot of competition. There is so much noise out there in the marketplace that you have to find a way to stand out. And it's through networking, it's through building a reputation and a brand in your community that you're going to be able to stand out. And if you're not doing that, you're just going to be another person selling a professional service. And that buyer is getting bombarded online, offline, constantly by your competitors. So if they don't know you in person, then you, or if they don't know somebody who does know you in person, because sometimes you're going to be once removed. You know, you can't know everyone who can do business with you. That's why your network, the tentacles have to be long and deep and wide that are working out there. But if you do it well, your direct relationships or once removed through people who are respected in the community are going to be what allows you to stand out. Because if you're referred to somebody, that referral comes in pre-sold. It is so much better than sending some sort of a cold email or hoping someone's reading Twitter when you tweet. Because we all know, or we should, that the life of a tweet is like minutes long. If someone's not reading their Twitter stream, you have gotten lost. It is never going to be seen. So if you're relying on social selling, thinking that, oh, I have a really big online presence, for most people, that's not going to help. Now, there's always outliers. When I talk about the fact that I don't believe, I, I think these online tools, and we'll talk about this in a minute, I think they're very important and they're very good tools to help you extend your brand. But sometimes there's outliers out there who built a whole business. They built their whole business off of using online tools or what I call these digital shortcuts to getting to know people. If we all think we're going to be the outliers, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to go hungry. So to stand out in the marketplace and to stand out from all the noise, I believe your network matters more than ever. And sales is changing and it's changing a lot. When I started off in sales 25 years ago, I sold you know, I, I worked one of my early jobs. I sold advertising for my local chamber of commerce here in Austin. And I would sell advertising in their relocation guide and their membership directory. And I would actually go in to meet with CEOs of companies and law firms and other organizations. And I would go in with a cardboard folder. I am not too ashamed to tell you that I am old enough to where sales involved me going in with a cardboard folder with one sheets in it that had all the features and benefits of the product I was selling. And I, not only could you get the appointment, you call a CEO, they would usually meet with you, especially if you worked for an organization that was well-known, like the Chamber of Commerce. Sure, come on in Tuesday at 2. And I would go in, and I would hand them a one sheet, and then I would talk about the features and benefits. And when I was ready to steer the conversation a little farther, I would hand them another piece of paper, and then another piece of paper. I control the sales process as the salesperson. But in 2016, 2017, and beyond, the buyer controls the sales process because first of all, it's harder, harder than ever to get that appointment at Thursday at two o'clock. It's hard to get in the door. And if you do, they're savvy. They've looked you up. They've been to your LinkedIn profile. They've been to your firm website. They know what products and services you offer. And when you come in, they know what they want to talk about. You don't get to guide them through the whole process of what it is. And you're not getting an hour appointment. You're lucky to get a half hour appointment and they're in control. So sales has changed. The buyer has so much more control than they did when I started selling that if you're going in thinking you're in control, you're going to lose more often than you can ever imagine. So you have to go in with that respect. The buyer is in charge, which means you have to be able to sort of bob and weave your way through the conversation. It's no longer, we're going to talk about this, hand them another piece of paper, we're going to talk about that because sales has changed. However, 
your company, who you work for, and your own paycheck is totally reliant that you're going to get out there and grow the business. If you're not growing the business, then you're going to have to go find a new job. Salespeople have to answer to their quota every single week, every single time. And so a lot of them say, I don't have time to network because that takes a long time. Yes, it takes a long time. It could take five to seven years to build the type of relationships that I'm talking about that are going to lead to real sales. So you cannot rely on going out to a networking event for today's sales. But if you're not networking, it's going to be harder to sell tomorrow. So there's a lot of, of little pieces that go into making your networking connect to your sales. There's hundreds of things that you have to do. It's involved in follow-up, it's involved in how you present yourself, it's, it's what you wear, it's how you start the conversation, it's the questions you ask. I mean, we could go on and on. There's so many little pieces that you have to put them together in a way that works for your personality, the product or service that you sell, the company that you work for, the community that you live in, the type of buyers that you have, and it can be overwhelming. So I've written a couple books on this. The first book I ever wrote was called Some Assembly Required, How to Make, Grow, and Keep your business relationships. Now, that book was the, of all the books I've done, that one has sold the most. It was sort of my first entry into this world of, of writing and speaking. And it did fairly well. I've sold 20,000 copies of the book, which, you know, isn't a runaway bestseller, but it's considered a success in the world of books. And people have asked me time after time, they say, Tom, I really like this book, but why do you call it Some Assembly Required? Well, it's because exactly what I was talking about. You have to put the pieces together, and there's so many pieces, and if you don't assemble them in a way that's going to work for you, this is all going to fall apart. It's all not, it's none of it's going to work. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like Christmas morning or a birthday or another holiday where a little kid would get the gift of a bicycle. So work with me on this. Think, come along with me on this. So imagine for just a minute that a little girl comes down the stairs, she's wiping the sleep out of her eyes, rounds the corner, and right there in front of her, there is a shiny new bicycle, right? I mean, that is a wow moment. That's powerful. Do any of you remember that moment when you were a kid? But better yet, have you given that moment to your own kids? There's power in that. But what if that same little girl came down the stairs, wiped the sleep out of her eyes, rounded the corner, and right there in front of her, there were two tires, a chain, a handlebar, and a seat strewn across the carpet? Not quite as powerful. There's no power. There's no wow. In my house, that would be called, Daddy's a jerk. <laughs> in order for this to work, someone has to put the pieces together. And that's what I'm talking about here. You have to put the pieces of your networking and your sales together into one, or it's just going to be a lot of parts strewn across the living room floor. If you're the best kept secret in your market, no matter what you sell, if you sell financial services, if you sell accounting services, if you sell uh, legal services, if, if you sell banking, if you sell widgets, it doesn't really matter. If you're the best kept secret, no one's going to buy from you. So you have to take ownership of building your brand, building your network, building your reputation, and then tie it together through the actions that you're taking. And sometimes people, they, they accidentally get so caught up in just thinking they work for a company that's well-known or they do good work that somehow the business is going to fall in their lap. But the truth is, if you're the best kept secret, nobody can buy for you. When I go in and work with people, what I try to teach them isn't how to sell. because 
there's a lot of theories out there on how you close business and it, it varies for so many people. Just your personality versus a coworker's personality, both of you can be extremely successful and that you, you sell and you close business in entirely different ways. So it's not about that. It's about getting on more short lists. So think about that for a minute. Someone is buying the product or service that you sell. How many people who sell your product or service do you think that they usually talk to? Now, on a webinar, it's weird because I can't see you, but when I'm working with a team, usually in most industries, people will sell me, tell me that they will say that their buyers usually talk to two or three people in their industry before making a decision. Across industry lines, two or three is about the answer I get. Every now and then, someone will come in and say, oh, <clears throat> in our industry, people talk to 100 people. Okay, well, that's an outlier. In most industries, people say they, they shop really hard with two or three vendors, and then they make their decision. So here's the thing to remember. If you're not on that short list of two or three vendors, you have a 0% chance of winning the sale. So don't worry so much about how do I close the sale? Worry about getting the chance to be at the table. It's all about getting on the short list, and that's why your networking matters. When these people say, oh, networking doesn't matter, I don't want my salespeople out there networking. Well, if they're not known, if they're the best kept secret, then they're not even getting to the table. They're not one of those two or three companies it doesn't matter what their closing ratio is if they're not getting in front of enough customers. So you have to remember, it's, to be a successful salesperson is getting invited to the table more often. Now, you'll figure out, if you track all your numbers, and you always should track all your numbers, you'll figure out the percentage that you close. It always works itself out. You call on you know, 10 companies, and you close five of them, you know you have a 50% closing ratio, which in a lot of industries is great. Maybe you close three, so you're closing about a third. That's great because then you know if you need three more sales, you would darn well better get on 10 more short lists. And the way you get on the short list is people have to know that you're out there. And you alone can't do it if you're not part of your community, if you're not plugged in, if you don't have referral sources and other people who are out there helping get your name out there, then you're leaving money on the table. Now, there's a couple myths when I talk about networking and salespeople try to you know, undermine this and take out all, all the power of why networking matters. And so my five favorite myths that I've heard you know, from working with you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of teams is number one, well, networking is important, but you should only do it when you're not busy. <laughs> I totally disagree. Networking is not a verb. You don't go networking. Networking is a lifestyle. It has to be something that you are engaged in being a contributing member of your community all the time. Remember what I said, you know, it is about creating long-term and mutually beneficial relationships. That's what networking is. And that keyword of mutually beneficial means you need to be looking for ways to connect other people and help them find success. And you can't just do that when you're slow, especially because when you're slow, you get panicked, kind of become self-focused. So you always need to be looking for ways to be connecting the dots for yourself, but also for other people. So when you're busy, you still gotta be networking. And what I tell people is it's not a click switch, like a light switch that goes on off, it's a dimmer switch. When you get busy, yes, obviously, you can't go to everything in your community all the time. Dim it down, but don't turn it all the way off. You still gotta be participating. You still have to be connecting with people in your network. If you turn it all the way off, you're gonna wake up and have no business, and then you gotta start over. It's a lot harder to take that click switch from off to on than it is to dim it up and down. The second myth is that only the senior executives really need to be out there networking. The owner of the company, my boss, my sales manager, they go out and do the networking. I'm just kind of grinding the workout. This is for everybody. 
This affects every aspect of your career and your life and everybody. I don't care what your job title is. This isn't just for salespeople. Everybody needs to be working on who are their connections over the long term and how can we bring those beneficial relation to beneficial opportunities to each other. The third myth is that people you meet never make referrals. Well, maybe the people you meet never make referrals to you. My argument for that is you're not doing the job of building a network right. If you're making a lot of referrals for other people, I promise you, there will be people who will make referrals for you. I recently referred another professional speaker to an event. I had been the keynote speaker the year before, and they were looking for somebody. They told me what they were looking for, and one of my friends was perfect. They'd never heard of him, but he was perfect. And I referred him, and it turned out to be the largest event he had ever spoken at. It was a career-pivoting thing for him. He was so grateful. He has now referred me to three or four of his clients. He is working as like almost a salesperson for me until he gets me an opportunity. He is so actively trying to make sure he uncovers a stone that finds work for me because I helped him. Well, I didn't really help him. I was helping my client solve a problem. But he thinks that I'd gone out of my way to do something great for him and now he wants to return that favor. So if you think people I meet never do anything for me, ask yourself, what am I really doing for them? Because it will come back to you. The fourth myth, and this is one of my favorites, is ah, if you do good work, the business will find you. I think that might have been true 30 years ago. But there is so much noise out there now that there's no way they can separate who does good work and not. And the other thing is, doing good work is just the ticket into the game. I don't care who you are or what you do, your competitors do great work. So if you're relying on the fact that you do great work, then you're not making the short lists because everybody does great work. You can rationalize all day long why your competitors don't, but they do. And then the final myth is, is that decision makers, buyers for my service, you know, what I sell, they never participate in networking events. Well, if they're human, they participate in something. Now, not everybody does, but most people are involved in something in their community, whether it's a civic organization, an arts organization, a business organization. You just have to figure out where do the people I sell to, where do they go? Maybe you're not going to the right type of events. <clears throat> now, we talked a little bit about social media and social selling and all of the online tools. And, and I'll tell you, Kelly invited me to do this webinar. I could have done a whole hour just on social media. But here's the deal. We only have time to talk about a little bit of this. So I'm going to talk about one thing. I mean, we've got Twitter, we've got YouTube, we've got Facebook, we've got LinkedIn, we've got uh, Snapchat, you know, we've got everything. But I only have time to talk about one. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a grown-up with a job and you want more success and more opportunities, you absolutely have to have a vibrant LinkedIn account. Now, that doesn't mean just having an account. <clears throat> it has to be vibrant and you have to use it. And when I mean vibrant, it means make sure that your profile is filled out in a way that talks about who you are and what you do and what industries you serve for two reasons. One is if people are going to look you up on LinkedIn, they're going there for a reason. They want to find the information. If you have a lame profile, and many of you know what I'm talking about when I say a lame profile, and that's a profile that just says your name, your company, you may not even have a picture, and you have three friends. That's not really providing any value to anybody who goes there. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to put this information out there. Well, we live in a world where people expect to be able to find out about you. So you've got to have a vibrant, filled out profile. And the best way to figure out what's the perfect profile is 
everybody has different opinions. And you can talk to 10 gurus on LinkedIn. They'll give you 10 different ways to fill out your LinkedIn profile. My advice, spend a few hours and go look at the profiles of your competitors, of people you admire in your business, and read how do they describe themselves. Now, some of them have lame profiles. It's the way it is. But find the profiles that you admire and say, wow, this person did it really well, and then copy now, I don't mean cut and paste their whole thing because that talks about them. You need to talk about you. But copy the style and sort of the way they phrase it and fill it out. Make sure you have a really good summary. Make sure you list the places you work. Make sure that you list where you went to school. And then what groups are you involved with? Join their pages on LinkedIn. Join the groups for the organizations that you support because when people go to look for you, that gives them some information. And the second part about LinkedIn is never again after this webinar is over, should any of you ever go on an appointment where you haven't looked up the person first. You have to look them up on LinkedIn. Now, if they have a lame profile, nothing you can do. They just have a lame profile. You're not going to be able to find out any information. But if they have a vibrant one, sometimes, not every time, you're going to be able to find those connections. Like the managing partner of that law firm, he discovered something we had in common and it transformed our entire relationship and our entire discussion and I got the business because we were able to talk about something. So I go through people's LinkedIn profiles and I look, where do they work? Which usually you know before you meet with them. But where did they work? Maybe they worked for a company that I used to work for or that my brother used to work for. Where'd they go to college? The other day, I was having a meeting with somebody, and it said on their profile that they went to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Well, that's where my daughter goes to school. All of a sudden, we had an uncommon commonality. And so when I got them on the call, we started talking about Carnegie Mellon and about the transformation that the city of Pittsburgh went through. And I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to win that business because we found something in common. We both were big fans of Carnegie Mellon, and we both were big fans of Pittsburgh, and it started off our conversation in such a delightful manner. So make sure that you're visiting those LinkedIn profiles, and all you have to look for is where do they work, where did they used to work, where did they go to school, what groups do they belong to, and who do we know in common? If you look at those five things every time you go on an appointment, it is going to allow you to have a much better conversation. Now, not every time are you going to find someone who has sort of that love connection, and that's okay. You'll still know just enough about them where it'll make it a little bit easier to talk to them. But on those occasions, you find that, that uncommon commonality, you find that thing that you have in common, it's going to, I promise you, it will transform the relationship and lead you to the opportunity to have more sales. So social media can be overwhelming. But as I said when I first started out, a like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a relationship. There's so much noise. There's so many places to be on social media. Just take a breath and embrace LinkedIn because as an adult with a job, LinkedIn is the one place you absolutely have to be. The other piece to that is every time I talk to recruiters, they live. They live on LinkedIn. That's where opportunities come from. If you ever think, maybe I would love to be recruited away to a bigger job with a bigger company, if you're not on LinkedIn and it's not filled out with the right keywords, they're not going to find you. Recruiters used to do a lot of research and a lot of work, and they still do. But most of that research now lives and dies on LinkedIn because there's enough people out there. You have enough competitors who have really good LinkedIn profiles that the recruiters are able to get what they need by going there. So LinkedIn is not a choice. 
LinkedIn is an absolute must. And if you have any questions, you know, about that, you can always email me at Tom at TomSinger.com and I will happily answer any questions about, about that because I think that LinkedIn is so imperative, especially, you know, if you're in financial services or you're selling some sort of a professional service, it is imperative to your success because <clears throat> you're creating a brand and you are the brand. Now, sometimes when I work with people, they get a little bit nervous. They go, Tom, I'm not a brand. I'm a person. They say Nike's a brand. Coca-Cola's a brand. Southwest Airlines, that's a brand. I'm a human being. Well, you're a brand. The best definition I have ever heard from any marketing gurus out there of what is a brand is I once heard someone say, and I wish I remember who I heard say this because it's a great line, is a brand is a promise, period. That's all. A brand is a promise, a promise of how you're going to behave. And whether you've thought about this or not, you already have a brand in your business community. People are always watching you, and they're always judging you. And people say to me all the time, they say, well, Tom, that's not fair that they're judging me. Well, I don't care if it's fair or not. People are jumping to conclusions about other people. They are moving so fast. They're making all kinds of decisions about who you are and about what you do. And that is your brand. They're assuming based on a few things they've seen about you, who you are and how you're going to act in all things. And if you have never actively worked on creating this brand, it doesn't mean you don't have one. You've just allowed other people to establish your brand. And it's not always going to be positive. So you constantly have to be thinking about how do I develop, how do I cultivate a brand? And in 1997, there was an article in Fast Company Magazine by the author Tom Peters. And he wrote an entire feature article called The Brand Called You, Y-O-U. And he basically said in 1997 that the world had changed and it would never be the same. To have a successful career, and I argue have a successful career in sales, but he was talking about everybody, you absolutely have to control this reputation, this brand, because it goes out way ahead of you. We live in a world where people talk, people tell stories, people are observing, people are watching. And he said, you have to create that impression that you're the type of person people want to work with. And he said back in 97, the world was never going to be the same, that people wouldn't just have one job for 40 years and retire with a gold watch. Instead, people would not only change jobs seven to 15 times throughout that 40 or 50 year period, but people would you know, work well into their 70s. They would change careers several times. People might work in business, then they go to work for a nonprofit, then maybe you know, they come back and start their own, you know, their own uh, small business. They'll do different things, but all the opportunities that will present themselves will come from the people they've met along the way. And if you want more of those opportunities, you have to cultivate those relationships. But if you think about it, he wrote this article before we had LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, etc. In fact, 1997, email was just appearing on the scene as like a common business communication tool. So what was he saying? How did he say we had to do this? Well, he said that you had to do it by getting belly to belly, face to face with as many people as you could and not just once because meeting someone once doesn't make them part of your network. Meeting someone once makes them someone you've met once. There's a huge difference between someone you've met once and someone you've cult cultivated that long-term and mutually beneficial relationship with. 
So what Tom Peters said was you had to write them handwritten notes. You had to write them letters. You had to follow up with them. You had to get face to face at conferences. You had to take people to lunch. You had to, you know, send out Christmas letters. You had to do all these little things. Well, he was right. But what's happened in the last 19 years is society has changed because of all these social media tools. So now there's no excuse for losing people. When I graduated college and we moved to different parts of the country, I lost a lot of friends because I didn't have their phone number. And when you're young, you change apartments a lot and you change jobs a lot. Well, now if you're connected to them on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on Twitter and these other things, it doesn't matter if someone changes phones or changes this. You always should be able to find each other. You always should be able to communicate. You know, my daughter talks about how one of her high school friends, they talk on Snapchat every day and it tracks what their streak is. And now they've talked like for 348 days. So her and her friend who go to school across the country every day send a little note to each other. Well, that helps cultivate that friendship because if they didn't, out of sight is out of mind. So you are the brand and you have to remember that every day you have to do that. Now, the Coca-Colas, the, the Nikes, the Southwest Airlines of the world, they have dozens of people on their payroll who have the job title brand manager. Well, you can't go out and hire brand managers to work for you. So you have to take this on. If you want to have more sales and you want to tie your networking to your success, you have to own that brand. And remember, grandma was right. Grandmas were always right. <laughs> first impressions matter. And that first impression now isn't dress for success, although it is important how you dress. Today, oftentimes, especially people who work in sort of more casual in industries think, oh, it doesn't matter if I show up in a dirty t-shirt. Nobody cares. People still care. People make assumptions. That doesn't mean you have to wear an Armani suit everywhere you go because that's not always appropriate either. But you have to think through what is my first impression that I'm putting out. But oftentimes that first impression now is online. And that goes back to what I was saying about having a great LinkedIn profile. That is often your first impression. And nobody goes to LinkedIn to find out information about you before a meeting and finds this crummy profile that you haven't filled out. You have three friends. You don't have a picture. It's one of those pictures where you've cut your husband and wife out at an angle, you're kind of like, oh, hey, how you doing? Nobody goes there and sees that and says, wow, this person has decided not to take advantage of the largest online business networking platform on the planet of all time. Wow, I'm impressed. Your impression is never good if you've ignored how you set up your profiles on these social media things. Nobody is ever impressed that you have a lame profile. So always be thinking about that first impression that you're making and realize sometimes that first impression is being made when you're not even in the room. But once you are in the room, and I talked about this before, you've got to ask them a lot of questions. I said before that, you know, they follow people on blind dates. The person who talks the most really likes the other person. So you need to get them talking. And all the way to do this is just to be curious about people. The best salespeople I know the ones who, whenever I go in and work with a sales team in a company, I always ask, can I talk to two or three of your salespeople? And I always want to talk to the most successful, and I always want to talk to people who are struggling. And I will tell you that the most successful person is always extremely curious. When I get them on the phone, they want to know about me. How did you become a professional speaker and trainer? They always ask a billion questions. And when I talk to the people who are struggling, they're like, what can I do for you? They want to know why the call is set up, why their boss put us together in this thing. Without question, the most successful people are the people who are the most curious about the people they run into. Now, when they're talking to me, they can't sell me anything. 
but great, great salespeople can't turn this off. Their curiosity about other human beings isn't just for, wow, that person could sign a contract, so I'm curious about them. The truly great salespeople become, whether they're born this way or they learn it, I have no idea. But those who are going to have the most sales are going to be truly curious about everybody they run into and they ask a lot of questions and they listen. That's what you need to be doing in your networking is you need to be asking lots of questions and then you have to listen. That's really, really a key place. And before we go into this next part about follow-up and before I wrap this up, I know that Kelly had asked for people to submit questions. So I'm gonna flip it back now before we close out and see if there's any questions from the audience about what we talked about. Kelly? Hi, Tom, thank you so much. We actually do have a few questions. So uh, first question is, um, I attend a networking event um, every month. We tend to talk about sports and current events and never get to networking. How can I turn it so that we get back to networking? Sure, well first of all, thank you for that question, whoever asked that. First of all, what I'd like to say is, is that talking about sports and about the weather and about you know where your kids go to school, that's all part of networking. Networking, it, to build a relationship, it's not just jumping into it. So I think it takes seven to 10 times of interacting with people, not before you're even friends or before they do business with you. It takes seven to 10 times before people really even notice you exist, before they sort of let you into their field of vision. So when you go to these monthly meetings, they start off very superficial. And it can take you a year, if they meet once a month, it can take you a year, and I'm assuming that you make it there every month, it can take you a year before you really get past the superficial. If it takes seven to 10 interactions before people sort of let you into their world, then you have to realize that those conversations are just sort of a step along the way. However, it is important to remember that when you attend business events and you're networking with people you could either be working with or that could be referral sources, eventually we have to talk and get to business. And this comes back to asking them questions. So you can steer a conversation via the questions that you ask. So sure, if they're talking about the football, you talk about the football. But eventually, there's going to be a lull in the conversation. And at that point, you can jump in and say, you know, you know, tell me more about your business. Tell me more about what you do. I've, I've met you at these events three or four times. And, you know, I know your kids go to school, you know, where my kids go and this and that. But I really don't understand what you do. And then sit back and listen. So the idea of asking a lot of questions and being curious about people the questions you ask can steer the conversation. Now, if you're at a group that is known for being sort of <clears throat> social, you don't want to be the person who jumps right to business. And so maybe that particular meeting isn't the best place to talk business. If that's not what people do, you go and get to know the people, sure, but then set up lunch with somebody. And sometimes you say, you know, I'd like to get to know more about your business. Why don't we set up a meeting? Why don't we go for drinks? Or why don't we go for breakfast? And set up a meeting that is set up with the purpose of talking business. So don't let the, the, the football talk scare you off. The football talk help builds the foundation of that long-term relationship. Then take it to business and get to the mutually beneficial. Okay, great answer, thank you. And uh, next question is, can you elaborate how networking for people and sales is different now than before social media? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that, I think social media has changed everything. And, and I'm not going to say for the worse. I actually think it's changed it for the better. I talk about the fact that, you know, to be more successful, we have to get back to this human to human engagement. 
but we now have the tools. The social media has given us the tools to stay in front of people. I, just an example for myself is I, is I have, a, I won't say who, but I have a, an organization I would love to speak for. And I socially met, I don't even live in the same town, but I'm at a conference. I met one of the people who's an executive with this association and she started following me on Facebook. Well, she likes things that I do and I like things that she do. Now, they, they have turned me down to work for them but not for any reason other than I wasn't the right fit for that conference. But the fact that I constantly see her on my Facebook stream and she likes the things that I put and I do hers, it means that I'm still there in her mind. If that didn't exist, she would never have thought of me again for the last couple of years. But I know she knows who I am because she follows my stream and she reacts to it. So these are tools. The social media tools are exactly that. They're tools. They don't replace it. But I definitely think that in the world post-social media, it's better for salespeople. But one of the things I do when I go in and work with a sales team is I whiteboard, if you were selling this product, and sometimes if I'm working with people in technology, it's funny because their products didn't exist in 1957, but we pretend. And I say, let's pretend you were selling this product. And so for people in financial services, people who are financial planners, if you were a financial planner in 1957, what would you had to have done to drum up business and we whiteboard all the things somebody would have to do in 1957. And I usually look at the whiteboard and I say, there, there's your roadmap. That's what you still have to do. They go, I'd probably have to be involved with the Chamber of Commerce. I'd probably have to take a lot of people to lunch. I'd probably have to host some seminars where I talk about financial planning. It's like, you still have to do all of those same things. However, if you're gonna host a seminar, now you can use social media to promote your seminar. So that's great, but you still have to go do the belly-to-belly, face-to-face, human-to-human things that you had to do before social media. So I think that we can't think that it's either social media selling or old-fashioned selling. It's still selling, you just, you mirror them together. Okay, thank you. And I'll remind everyone also who's on the call, if you would like to submit a question, just use the Q&A button at the top left-hand side of your screen. And Tom, I will pose another question to you. Could you tell us um, a little bit more about using LinkedIn for sales? Yeah, well, I think I covered LinkedIn to the point that as a salesperson, you never should go on a call without looking the person up on LinkedIn, without really looking them up and and, uh, figuring out what it is that you have in common. But one of the things I really didn't cover is how do you, how do you use groups? So, so many different industry organizations and local groups have discussion boards in Facebook. So, you need to join those groups that your customers belong to and you need to participate. If you do that, you'll be putting your name out in front of people. But here's the thing. You don't participate by saying, I sell that service. You know, if somebody says, uh, I participate in a couple of discussion groups that have meeting planners. If somebody says, you know, oh, I'm, I'm looking for a speaker on, you know, sales or, or, or you know, engagement. I don't jump right on there and go, oh, hire me, hire me, because then you're, then you're that guy. You don't want to be that guy or that girl. You don't want to be that person. So, you know, what I will often do is I'll answer questions where the answer isn't, it's me. I'll answer questions that come up for other things that I experience about meetings or training and stuff like that. If there's a time when the answer is really, I'm the perfect fit for that, I will typically email that person directly and say, I saw your message in the LinkedIn group. And I didn't want to post, hey, look at me in the whole group, but I would love to have a conversation with you to see if I'm the right fit. Most of the time, people are thrilled that I reached out to them 
Sometimes I'm the right fit, sometimes I'm not. And most of the time, they're very impressed that I'm not in that group constantly trying to sell myself. If I'm going to sell myself, I'm going to do it over here on the side. However, I participate in those groups so that people remember who I am. And so I think one of the things salespeople aren't doing in many cases is they're not participating in the LinkedIn communities, the LinkedIn groups that are out there. And I think if there's not a group for whatever your industry is, start your own. Start your own and, and then get the conversation going. But remember that when you're in a forum, it can't be, oh, I'm the person who sells that product every single time. I mean, sometimes you can. But if you do it every single time, then everybody starts to see you as, as, as the spammy guy. Right. That makes sense. So, so that was the last question we have for now. Again, if anyone has any other questions, we will pose them at the end of our presentation today. So please just uh, go ahead and use the Q&A button at the top left-hand side of your screen. Thank you, Tom. Well, and as we get into sort of wrapping up here in the last few minutes of this, I wanted to hit on why it is so important to follow up with people and show gratitude. We live in a world where everybody's meeting people, taking care of things and moving on to the next thing. So rarely do we follow up with someone we meet, whether it's at, a, at an event or at a networking function, so often we never follow up with anything that says, hey, it was so great to meet you. And if we do, it's often just sending them that LinkedIn request and thinking, oh, we're done. We're now LinkedIn buddies. We're cool. I believe that when you meet someone for the first time, if you have a real connection, you should send them some sort of a, of a follow-up. Now, that can be an email, but I think a handwritten note goes so much farther. Just saying, you know, dear Bob, it was great to meet you at the Chamber of Commerce dinner. I really enjoyed our conversation about whatever you talked about. Please let me know if there's anything I can do and mail it to them because then in their office, they get, they get that envelope and they open it and they touch it and they see your logo on your business card. That is so much different than an email that says, nice to meet you last night because I get 200 emails a day. If I get that one, I might reply, nice to meet you too, boop, gone, it's out of my thing. But I don't get 200 handwritten notes a day. So it makes you stand out if you follow up in some way that is special. Now some people say, well, I don't have good handwriting. Great, then find a different way that's special. But don't just text people, you know, nice to meet you. I mean, that, that, that doesn't say I put any time into this for you. And the same thing is true about gratitude. If people do you a favor, if they refer you a piece of business, make sure in an appropriate manner you're saying thank you because I don't think people say thank you often enough. So the last part I want to talk on here is, is what do you do after you've networked with people and you've gotten to the point where there's legitimate business that can be done? Well, first of all, if someone is a potential client, you should never end a meeting without taking ownership of the next step. And that means that if, if we have a conversation and I know that you and I can do business together, I need to set what that next step is. If I don't, the relationship goes into limbo. But if I set up the next step, if I say, Kelly, that was so great. You know, I would love to be represented by your bureau. How about if I send you uh, all my information and a link to my bio uh, by next Friday? And you say, oh, okay, that would be great. Now I own the next step. Always end a meeting by planning what do we do next? Because sometimes the sales cycle could take a year. And so if you just say, hey, that was great to talk to you. All right, well, we'll be in touch. Well, what does we'll be in touch mean? We'll be in touch doesn't mean anything. Set a time and a date for whatever the tangible next step is. That might mean I'm sending you some information, maybe I'm setting up the next lunch that we're gonna go to, or I'm, uh, I'm inviting you to come watch me speak because I'm gonna be in New Jersey. Whatever that is, you want to be able to own that next step. And then make sure you put that in your calendar so you actually follow through on it. And then never forget, as a salesperson, 
that you have to ask people to represent them or to have their business. I do a lot of coaching with lawyers and with bankers and with people in financial services. And so often they'll wine and dine people forever. And I'll say, have you told them I want your business? And they go, no, that would be too pushy. Well, no, it's not too pushy. That is sort of a, a formal question after you have built this relationship and taken it to a certain level. If you don't ask, you're not setting up the next step. Asking for the business is at some point the next step for a business relationship. And so if, if, we, if you've learned nothing else today, it's go out there and network. But when you find somebody who you could be doing business with or even who could be like a good give and take referral source, formally set it up. Say, I would love the opportunity to do business with you. Because if you don't ask, they might be too shy to tell you. I've, I've actually seen people wine and dine and, and invite people to things and do this. And then after they get the courage to say, you know, I'd love to work with you, the person says, well, it's about time. <laughs> the customer will wait in many cases for you to ask for their business because in the relationship that we have as salespeople, it's not really their job to say, oh, please give me a contract. It's your job to say, I would like to represent you. And I'll tell you what I tell everybody. Like, I have friends who, who I do business with. I have a friend today, we had lunch, and he has a conference coming up, and I was the keynote speaker two years ago. And we were getting together to talk about me coming back as the keynote speaker for this event. We talked about different things, what he was looking for, how my presentations have grown and changed. And then I said, I want to do it. And he said, okay. I don't know that he was going to ask me to be his keynote speaker. I had to ask him because that's my job as the salesperson, as the vendor, is to say, I really want to do business with you. I think this would be great. Now, this is somebody who's a good friend of mine. The truth of the matter is, is that he could have said no. And I actually set it up when I asked him. I said, look, you and I are friends. No is a totally acceptable answer. And he laughed and he said, yes. But, you know, sometimes when you ask for the business, you're going to get no. And that's all right. You have to have a thick skin. You have to realize in sales, you're not always going to get a yes. But if you don't ask, you may not get anything. You'll just be stuck in that limbo land for a long, long time. So you have to do all this consistently. I said before, it can take five to seven years to build the type of relationships that really lead to sales. You have to be committed that you're going to be doing this for the long haul. If you think, oh, I could be nice to people and follow up and, and do these things for the next month, and then you expect all this business to come in, you're going to be disappointed. This is a long haul. Networking is not a verb. It is a lifestyle, and you have to do it consistently. But everybody I know who does this and ties it to the sales, and remember, I'm not just here to socialize, and figures out how to ask the right questions to lead them into a business discussion. Everyone I know who does that well is more successful than people who I don't think do it very well. They're not as successful. So it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And as a person who is training for a half marathon, it's hard. I'm only doing a half, and it's hard. Well, sales is hard. And it's just like training for a long run. You do a little bit, you back off. You do a little bit more, you back off. You do a little bit more, you back off. And eventually you're doing more and more and more and all of a sudden you're number one salesperson in your company. But that is over the entire run. You don't get there in the first mile. When I talk to people who've run marathons, they tell me that around mile 13 or 14, they literally are like, why am I not in bed with a latte? This hurts, ouch. And then they just, they just keep going. One more step, one more step, one more step. And all of a sudden, they're at 26 miles. And for me to do 13 miles, I'm, I'm hoping that I, at some point I am going to say, ouch, I'd rather have a latte. <laughs> and I'm going to have to take one more step. And the same thing is true for all of us who are in sales. And if you're in professional services and you're in sales, you're often selling yourself 
as the product. <clears throat> it is a long, long run. But I do believe that if you do it, it all works out. Thank you. Tom, thank you so much and thank you all of our attendees. We appreciate your time today. And just to remind you, this webinar was recorded today and we will have the recording on connectroot.com and just click on educational webinars and our recorded webinars are all at the top of the screen. And then as you scroll down this, this screen, you'll see the upcoming webinars. Um, so Tom, thank you so much for your time. All of this information was really amazing and I know I'm gonna take a lot of it and use it in my business personally, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>